Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. tuning in to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast on this episode we had miguel connor host of aeon bite gnostic radio taking audiences from ancient mysteries to a modern meaning i love aeon bite i'm actually a patreon member for the aeon bite gnostic radio you get a little bit more for your money two hours instead of one and the finding hermes series that miguel does with a couple different people. I was listening to one with Mitch Horowitz recently that was very interesting. Uh, but this conversation with Miguel was fantastic. We talked about Gnosticism, we talked about Carl Jung, and we talked a little bit about synchronicity and, and how Miguel got interested in all of this stuff, of course. So please enjoy this conversation with Miguel Connor. Be sure to check Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio out. Support him on Patreon, and if you're on Patreon, if you're if you want to show some love to the My Family family, while we're out here being crazy, I got a new series of the podcast. We're calling it a series now, but it might become a new podcast in and it of itself. It's called Seen the Synchronistic Experiment in the Ever Expanding Now, and I encourage you to take part in the synchronicities. Come join us on Patreon today. With that, folks, enjoy this conversation with Miguel Connor. I recommend having a notepad handy because Miguel is full of knowledge. 
And did you believe in God? Oh, yes. Do you now believe in God? Uh, now? Difficult to answer. I know. I, need, I don't need to believe. I know. wasn't part of the Manhattan Project. You know why? Because he would walk into places and he had this way of this telekinetic power that things would break if he got upset. He'd just walk into a room and bottles would break. And so these scientists were like, this guy is smarter than us, but we're going to end up with a nuclear blast. So he wasn't invited and he understood. But Wolfgang Pauli and Jung sort of worked together on the idea of synchronicity. Jung always tried to be take that middle path where something was both mystical and scientific. That's what how innovative Jung was because he wanted to find uh, a connection between this science and religion because both were falling apart and at each other's throats so much in the 19th century. Still are today. But to Jung, he saw the universe and he said, "Well, what are things that have causes?" And he said, well, there's uh, regular things are caused by by cause, you might say. You know, I push the ball, the ball rolls. I, I do this and the window closes, a cause and effect. But then he said things are also connected through time and space. there will be uh, a reaction and uh, I see I see it setting in you know when I think of my patients they all seek their own existence and to assure their existence against that complete atomization into nothingness or into meaninglessness man cannot stand a meaningless life Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark. With me today are my co-hosts, Adam and Jay. Thanks for joining me, guys. We're back, baby. And on the show, a great guest. You know him from Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. He's been doing this since 2006. His name is Miguel Connor, going through all things Gnosticism, understanding the real world around us. Miguel, how are you today? 
I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. And we wanted to have you on for many reasons, but one of the, the biggest things that people will know, obviously, the name tells it all, but Gnosticism, you know, I, I personally think that it's a term that's used a lot. Some people don't really know what it means when it's being used. So I'd like to get into that further with you because I know you've studied Gnosticism for so long. When did this begin for you? You started kind of as more of a, an atheist sort of questioning things or at least adjacent to atheists. But what, where did this interest begin? Yeah, I don't think I was only an atheist for a few months. It just got really boring. But I've always been a speaker, if you would, or I guess somebody who always felt he didn't belong. I forgot who's the Egyptian writer. He has the quote that goes, how do you know you've reached home when all of your attempts to escape cease? And since I was young, I always felt that I wanted to escape or I just didn't belong. And I was one of those people, I'm sure a lot of young people are like, oh, but I was only born in the medieval times or in the the roaring 20s or something like that, that'd be fine. And I would always feel that way. But eventually I sort of realized I would never belong. I was just that restless soul who felt uh, there was just something off about this universe or at least felt that I had some place that I wasn't uh, finding in this universe. I, I couldn't get my foothold in this reality, if you would. So I was always a searcher, but unfortunately, the searching sometimes led to darker things like drugs, crime, listening to Nickelback. I don't know, just very <laughs> unfortunate, very dark things. And but I kept searching. I, I even though I was raised Catholic, I was my mom was very ecumenical. So there were periods where I would study Hinduism and go to an ashram, uh, study Islam, go to a mosque, uh, try Protestant Christianity, Buddhism, you name it. I just kept wearing different clothes. I, I was into New Age, which was a lot of fun, but it's all just like, you know, sugary candy. And I'd heard of the Gnostics in college at a Catholic university, but just a little bit of taste. And then I'd read them here, and then I'd hear about them in the Da Vinci Code, and they were so always in the peripheral. And one summer, I just decided that I'd started studying them, and I, I really delve into it. And you might say that was my red pill, I think. Combination of reading Philip K. Dick, watching Donnie Darko, and reading the Nag Hammadi Library, the Gnostic Gospels, just shot me through space because I realized that the Gnostics felt like I do. They felt like these strangers in a strange land. They felt that this place was not this universe or this reality wasn't this benign, harmonious uh, mystery of the gods, but is more like a prison planet. And it showed me that you could experience uh, things beyond this world that would, be, that would uh, really make you expand your consciousness and make you feel whole. And there were other reasons. I enjoyed the, the fact that the Gnostics were a religion that were, they were like a, the complete Christianity I'd never heard about because it dealt with the missing pieces like the divine feminine and reincarnation and this concept called gnosis, where instead of having faith, you can know the divine or have a higher experience. Every individual has that capability. And other aspects of Gnosticism were just very attracted. And I loved how more than any movement, 
they really took it serious and drew a, a heavy line in the sand when it came to the idea of concept. I mean, concept, when it came to the concept of suffering. I think most, most faiths sort of uh, kind of dropped the ball when it comes to why we suffer, why the world is as it is, and why is there evil. And I'm not saying the Gnostics are right uh, to each individual their own. It's your, your path is your path. How you see the universe is how you see the universe. But to me, they really took uh, the idea of iniquity so seriously, and it really worked for me. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys here are recovering uh, addicts. Great way to start a conversation, right? But it's akin to the day I finally admitted I was an alcoholic was both the best and worst day of my life. Because as they say, it's only till you finally admit you have a problem that you can do something about it. It's only the day the, the day I said, oh my God, my life has been destroyed. The world around me is a mess. Everything, I'm, I'm, I'm completely licked by this universe. I'm, a, I'm an addict and I need to, I'm, I've hit rock bottom and I can do, and I need to do something about it. And uh, the Gnostics were really the only movement who said, look, we are trapped in the thrall of these uh, entities called archons and they rule this universe the world is not an illusion but it's a it's a construct it's bad software like the matrix and only till we really take it seriously and take ourselves seriously and try to understand who we are because what we are is most of us is 99% false we're all just programmed constructs of our culture our parents our religion our dna our animal instincts our lizard brains but there is part of us that that is true but that is again like finding out you're an alcoholic you got to get rid of all the negativity all that's false and really dig in into yourself uh, as Gnostic said, um, oh, as Elaine Pagel said, in Gnosticism, to know yourself is to know God. And that was, to me, a, a great revelation, and as well as the idea that this universe is probably a simulation and there's something just better outside. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, no, and that is, there's so much to go off there. I resonate with that. In a lot of ways, Miguel, I think your show has offered a lot of answers in my own quest and my own path in seeking these things out. I think Gnosticism is, is interesting because of that confidence, right, that's portrayed in knowing and rather than this, you know, bargain or this sort of uh, deal that you make that is faith. I think when we look at history at least when I have, one of the biggest things that really opened my eyes was how spiritual history truly is and how our conventional education, they don't teach us that. You know, one book that really had an impact on me was The Secret History of the World by Mark Booth. And something that he highlights in that book is this kind of spiritual underpinning throughout history and how these historic events were really just as much caused by spiritual factors as they were physical factors. So when it comes to Gnosticism, who were some of the more pivotal characters that you learned about on this uh, journey of understanding like uh historical like gnostic <laughs> sages or yeah, people yeah. who study absolutely well i mean the gnostics presented a very different again a secret history like you said there's always those in history who have a thirst for something deeper something more esoteric the the normal constructs of the world of working and having a family to the 
don't work. They want an experience. And the Gnostics were certainly part of the early Christian conversation. What the Gnostic Gospels and the Nag Hammadi Library have taught us is that Christianity was a, a multiplicity in the times of Jesus. And there was a lot going on in a lot of different groups. And what you find, you've got the, the Jesus of the Bible who's come to save you from your sins. But then the Gnostics presented a very different Jesus. What, what he's bringing is information. He's kind of like Morpheus in the Matrix. And he's coming down to sort of tap you in the shoulder and say, wake up, take the red pill. You've been living a lie your whole time. You've been under control with these deficient angels that are ruling this universe, these programmers, who cosmic programmers, as I often call them. And you need to wake up to your own realization. And your own realization is that you are me. You are Jesus. We're all saviors. The Texts like the Gospel of Philip and so forth will say, those who say you must die and be resurrected are incorrect. You must be resurrected before you die. Definitely, and of course you find this in alchemy, the transformation of the individual from lead to gold and so forth. And so it's a different Jesus. He's a, a revealer of mysteries and he came to wake us up to our uh, divine heritage or to our full potential and also to teach us the, the rituals that we could use to wake up. And what I've learned too is that the Bible has a lot of characters who've been hidden in plain sight. What's the old saying? If you wanna hide something, hide it in plain sight. So you start realizing that, for example, figures like Mary Magdalene have been marginalized in history, but she was actually uh, a leader of a movement. She was the main disciple of Jesus, uh, his consort. As, as one text says, she was the woman who understood the all. She could get the mystical realm better than anybody. And you see figures like Simon Magus, the Apostle Thomas. You see, they were themselves figures who were leading a movement, but the, they've been, again, marginalized in the Bible and church history to make them seem, you know, kind of like bumbling or a whore or just or doubting Simon Magus, even the Apostle Paul. When you start taking away, and this is from a, a Greek Orthodox scholar, David Bentley Hart, brilliant you know, he's a, a loyal Greek Orthodox. He's a scholar. He said, if you take away what you're taught in Sunday church, you take away the epistles, what you find is a Paul whose mess, central message is uh, Jesus came down to defeat these beings called the Archons, and that was his mission. And of course, you read the letters of Paul, and he, he's always talking about rulers, but rulers is Greek for archons, or the god of this world, or the powers and principalities, or, or wickedness in high places. And, you know these beings that are controlling the universe, and only this cosmic Jesus can can defeat. And needless to say, the Gnostics were the first ones to really follow and listen to the letters of Paul and innovate on them. The Gospel of John. You see this Jesus, who's a, a very alien being. And you realize the Gospel of John was first used by the Gnostics. There's even, going back to Paul, there's even one church father who called uh, Paul the apostle to the heretics uh, and the Gnostics. Because So you see this sort of uh, hiding of this varied Christianity, this appropriation of these Gnostic figures into orthodoxy. So those are some of the ancient figures that I find fascinating. And of course, there's many others throughout history, obviously, in modern times. I would say in the last hundred years, 
Gnostic figures that I really follow or have influenced me would be like uh, Carl Jung or Philip K. Dick. Absolutely. And the most interesting thing that I found through listening to Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio so often is this theme that the people who are revealing this truth in a very Gnostic way, they tend to be renegades. They tend to be in opposition to the state. And it really adds a lot of clarity to what these archons are when you look at it that way, like the empires and how they rule over people. I mean, whether you want to envision them as actual metaphysical, multidimensional beings or not, the point is there's this psychology at play of a control structure on the planet. And I think Gnosticism really provides a framework for understanding that, that really you don't see in many other places. Now, when it comes to Philip K. Dick, he's someone who I've done podcasts about. I read a, uh, a book by him, The Man Who Japed, a couple months ago. It was a very interesting book. It was kind of uh, about this guy who was working for the state, creating this sort of propaganda in the future and didn't really realize how his life was kind of unraveling in this sort of dual way. But there are so many messages from books that Philip K. Dick have written that he's written. Which are some of your favorites and what are some of the themes you've found that are Gnostic that are worth noting? Well, Dick was ever, was not only influenced by Gnosticism, he used a lot of religions. I mean, he really was incredible at synthesizing religious ideas with science and culture. But he actually had a Gnostic experience. He actually had two, <clears throat> one in the late 60s, but then he had his famous 2374, where he had this vision where the hologram lifted up and he realized time had stopped and we were all still living in Roman times. And he saw himself as Thomas, the, the Gnostic apostle, and uh, who was trying to fight this oppressive empire that had frozen time and was ruling in different disguises throughout, through time. And of course, Dick's a great message, which you find in Radio Free Album of his book that was made into a movie is it's always the fight, the, the value of the individual versus the supremacy of the state. And across history, as you guys probably know, the state has always claimed kingship with God or the gods. Even today, it seems like, you know, science is almost holy. We can't question it. You know, the holy halls of Capitol or the White House, you know, as above, so below these. So, of course, the Gnostics were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys are definitely attached to the <laughs> gods and represent the gods, you churches and education <laughs> systems and governments. But the gods are insane. The gods are evil. Like you said, the gods are here to create an order, a structure, which seems like it's something just, but is really a prison and feed off of it. That's what the, the archons do on the top is they feed off of our divine essence. And obviously today, these companies feed off of our information, our attention, our dopamine hits. They're feeding off something. So uh, the, the Gnostics and Philip K. Dick saw this chain that went from earth to the heavens or to the stars uh, of uh, repressing us, the human individual, and our our divinity, our true selves, if you would. And it was this struggle throughout history. I think as one scholar said, the Gnostics didn't become heretical. They were heretical from the get-go because they were the first people in history to say, look, 
your gods are wrong, your institutions are wrong, your codes are wrong. They're all part of an oppressive uh, totalitarian surveillance system. And there is something even higher, a grand imagination beyond the stars, even though the you know, the stars in our, what's inside of us are sort of attached and they are one and the same and there was something better. So they were heretical from the get-go because really nobody in history had ever challenged the status quo like the Gnostics did and to completely challenge it, saying I'm with a complete anarchist bent. And I mean, yeah, you have the, the cynics in ancient Greece with Dio, Diogenes and so forth. They were anarchists, but they were sort of on the fringe of society, making fun of the state and the, and the temples and all that. The Gnostics went uh, full on out in full rebellion. And that's one of the reasons they were so rejected by the powers that be, by the early church, by by secular governments when they moved to asia they were persecuted by buddhist governments they were persecuted by islamic governments it didn't matter the message was just too uh controversial to have a proper society where everybody behaves well and everybody is the same and if we all get along the gods will take care of us in time but it's really just a a slaughterhouse and i know I'm kind of gone away from Philip K. Dick, but I haven't because that's exactly what his novels talk about. Man in the High Castle, Valis, Radio Free Album, all of his novels, even before and after his Gnostic experience. But as an experience, he really saw, he really agreed with the Gnostic worldview. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you you go into so many details that it's hard to follow up here, but I definitely love listening to where you you go with this stuff miguel honestly the narcissism topic i think is so complex that it's hard for people to understand who the gnostics truly were was it a loose sort of philosophy or was it a a singular group of people is there a original group of gnostics or is this more of a a philosophy that's been taken on by different groups of people and kind of carried past the torch along would you say? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, quoting again April the comics, he says, Gnosticism isn't a religion, it's a metaphysical orientation. Or as some said, it's an aesthetic, it's a philosophy, because, <clears throat> excuse me, scholars have said, or researchers have said, the Gnostics seem like this parasite religion. You find the Christian Gnostics, you find in paganism, you find the Hermetics. In Islam, you find like the assassins and the Sufis. In Judaism, you find the Kabbalah. In Persia, you find the Mazdakites and the Zervanites who say that Araman rules this universe, that, you know, there's no ch- there's no bl- light darkness. Araman is in control of this universe. So it seems to be that there's always going to be an orientation in humanity. I mean, if our brains work in zeros and one, There are those who want order and feel this is a good place, and there are others who are going to question our reality. And uh, that's where the Gnostic seems to have fallen, because it seems why they're a metaphysical orientation is because they came out probably from, I mean, well, I'm going to couch it in two ways. They likely came were either dissatisfied Jews or pagans, any who traveled to Egypt or were in, were in Egypt and Alexandria in those areas. And what they did is they probably interacted 
with priests or sages who had the knowledge of the ancient Egyptian mysteries, which were being lost in the Roman Empire. If you look at a lot of the rituals and ideas of the ancient Egyptian mysteries with Osiris and all that, you really find them in Gnostic and Hermetic texts. So they probably went there and studied in little groups this magic, this fading gnosis of, of primordial days, and they kept them alive and kept going with them. So that's sort of the historical idea, and this probably happened perhaps before Christ was even born. And then these being anarchists, they weren't going to have much structure. So what you have is lodges happening, groups breaking up and going here and spreading throughout the Greco-Roman Empire, and it, it basically all with the sort of same philosophy. You know, we lived in a simulation. We have knowledge of a higher form of consciousness. We're trapped. We can, if we know ourselves, we can release this divine spark, the shard of infinity from us. But because we're all individuals, we're going to try different rituals that fit us. So some Gnostic groups said, well, we're going to try sex magic. Others said, no, why don't we try sacramental things? We're going to kind of hide in the Catholic Church. Others said, no, we're going to go to Islam later on and try these different, uh, like the, swir the whirling dervishes. So that, that's why people think that they're like parasitical religion. Well, they weren't. They were just grabbing on to what was around to them tweaking it and testing it so they could have this gnosis. And at the core of what I said about the Gnostics is that they were a shamanistic religion. The church fathers say that they were they call themselves the sons of Pythagoras, and Pythagoras was actually deputized by a Mongolian shaman. So the Gnostics believed in these sort of shamanistic ecstatic rituals, which was part of gnosis, that divine knowledge, where you could leave your body or go really deep inside of yourself on a journey to find, you know, like a, an ayahuasca trip today. I've done ayahuasca, and that, or that's probably what they were doing. And that's probably what the mystery religions were doing at the time. Yeah. So that's probably what we have historically, the Gnostics sort of spreading in different places with the core beliefs that they had. This universe uh, simulation, you have to have an ecstatic experience to travel beyond the stars. You have to have self-knowledge and and so forth. And But I think the, the Gnostic ideas that I'm talking about that really peaked in the before Christ and in the first century were always in the air. I mean, I'm sure, are you familiar with uh, Plato's allegory of the cave? Yeah. Well, that's like the ultimate Gnostic tale right there. Right. I mean, right there. I mean, it's like, I mean, if the Gnostics could describe this world, yes, we are in the shadows down in a cave and people are doing these shadows on the wall, these archons, and we one of us can escape to the light and come back and tell others there's a better reality out there. So you have that in Plato. You have that in the myth of Prometheus too. What's Prometheus? Zeus create, you know, he Zeus tells Prometheus, create humans to be slaves, which is the Gnostics would re not rewrite but reinterpret like the old testament and in the old testament adam and eve are actually the heroes the you know this evil god this demiurge makes them into slaves so it's the same in the myth of prometheus prometheus makes humans to because zeus wants some slaves and prometheus says no i'm going to go and sneak out and get the fire so that humans eventually can overthrow prometheus i mean zeus and the olympians so you have that gnostic story sort of like a uh, uh, thrust or 
impetus or origins and you have it in the the cult of orpheus too uh, even before plato had very gnostic ideas again i'm talking about zoroastrianism there was uh, groups that said ariman ruled this universe so this sort of gnostic sensibility was sprouting out throughout civilization as it became more civilized but it really culminated with the hermetics and the christian gnostics in the you know before the first century, perhaps after the first century. And then it sort of spread into other religions. I guess the Orthodox would say like a disease, like a virus, but the Gnostics would say, no, we're liberating. We're turning into Sufis and Cathars and Kabbalists and so forth. So that's more in a nutshell what the, the a quick historical overview of the Gnostics. Yeah, and the connection you make between Gnosticism and shamanism, that's something that really rings true with everything I've researched, the universality of this. It's so purely human, I think, what Gnosticism teaches us, that you see it in indigenous cultures that practice these shamanistic techniques. And people often look at indigenous cultures and think, oh, it's so different from anything in the West. But if you look deep enough, Gnosticism has been with us you know, hermeticism much longer than that. And it's really the empire that goes and snuffs this type of information out because they don't want us to have a true connection with our soul, with the, you know, mental envelope of the planet, right? This is the the prison matrix that they're keeping us in. And yeah, I mean, look at what's happened in the past hundred years in North America. You had all these people who were living somewhat Gnostic lifestyles, if you could call it that, and then the empire comes in and now everybody's pseudo-Christian. You know, it's just like, it's very, you know, it's a great case study for what happened thousands and thousands of years ago across Europe. I mean, there was the, the Gaelic tribes, there's the Druidic tribes, all these different groups of people in, you know, Northern Germany as well, in Northern Europe, up in Sweden, Norway, Rome went around and, and just destroyed all these cultures for the most part. Of course, there's fragments left, but I think that's why Gnosticism does feel so murky sometimes is because the empire has always had its kind of hands around its neck. And, and yeah, I mean, are, are, is Gnosticism the parasite or is the empire the parasite? I think I know what you, (laughs) who's the real virus here. (laughs) Yeah. But it's certainly, you know, something that I think more people should look deeper into Gnosticism as a whole. What, what, what do you have to say about Jung? I mean, this is a guy who inspired a lot of what, we are seeing now in our modern culture. For those who don't know, something that I recently learned is Jung was being kind of secretly information siphoned from him by this CIA operative who eventually, you know, used a lot of that information to create MK Ultra, right? And these kind of psychological operations that were going on and that probably still going on to this day. But not not just a CIA, Alan Dulles. He's the right, guy that that's the name. If you want to talk about why the CIA is evil and most of the evil put on Western society, have him. Yeah, Jung was treating his his mistress during World War II, and uh, his mistress was feeding these ideas to Alan Dulles, and Alan Dulles had some conversations, and Dulles was like, 
this guy gets it. This guy understands what true power and magic is. And well, like you just said, this is what we got. Even Jung said he was one of, after he met Alan Dulles, he said, the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is power. Because he understood these, it's not about evil, it's complete power. Whether the CIA uses good methods or bribery, whatever it uses or controls the mass media, it doesn't matter. This is about power, which is what the Archons and the Empire want. They can seduce us with our iPhones and uh, TikTok as much as they can threaten us with jail time or poison our water supply or send us to war. So, yeah, it was pretty sobering. I mean, because Jung, obviously, you know, Jung's ideas of the you know, the great unconscious, the world of archetypes and symbols and all these hermetic and Gnostic ideas. He, Alan Dulles definitely weaponized, weaponized these. And well, this is the culture we got. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's funny you bring this up because we just interviewed Monica Perez and uh, from the propaganda report. And she said that that was her big thing was power. Like, where's the power? And to add a, another layer to, of the synchronicity, I was going back to kind of refresh and, and listen to your past interview on Grimerica. I noticed that Monica had been interviewed on Grimerica the episode before you had. So look at that synchronicity. Wow. I accidentally booked it that way. Here we are now. And you guys have a very congruent kind of message. It's just, I had to point that synchronicity out. I know the listeners of the show will know that that's a theme on this show, but Jung was big into synchronicity. That was something that he explained in depth. And I think synchronicity is an extremely fascinating point of interest for me, at least. I think podcasting in general, the Grimerica show, for instance, they talk about it a lot there. But what are your thoughts on on synchronicity? Oh, my God, we could do a whole show on it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's Yeah, I mean, obviously, people think synchronicities are uh, meaningful coincidences, but to Jung, this was one of the forms, how we, one of the main forms, how we connect in this universe. I mean, he observed, and again, he, this he worked with, with a Nobel um, winning physicist, Wolfgang Pauli, because Pauli also believed that we were all connected and reality was sort of an illusion. I mean, Pauli was, I don't know, you should look into him. He, Albert Einstein once was doing a lecture and Wolfgang Pauli came and asked some question and Einstein is like, this is the smartest person I've ever met. And Pauli wasn't part of the Manhattan Project, you know why? Because he would walk into places and he had this way of this telekinetic power that things would break if he got upset. You just walk into a room and bottles would break. And so these scientists were like, this guy is smarter than us, but we're going to end up with a nuclear blast. If we... So he wasn't invited <laughs> and he understood. But Wolfgang Pauli and Jung sort of worked together on the idea of synchronicities. I mean, this is a Jung always tried to be take that middle path where something was both mystical and scientific. That's what how innovative Jung was, because he wanted to find uh, a connection between this 
science and religion because both were falling apart and at each other's throats so much in the 19th century, still are today. But to Jung, he saw the universe and he said, well, what are things that have causes? And he said, well, there's uh, regular things are caused by, by cause, you might say. You know, I push the ball the ball rolls. I, I do this and the window closes, a cause and effect. But then he said things are also connected through time and space. I, I walk by a guy walking his dog. We didn't cause each other, but in time and space, we are connected. So he saw these two forms of connection, cause and effect, time and space. But then he said there's maybe a third principle in the universe, which is meaning. I think of a song that morning in my head and I'm going to work and suddenly the speaker in the bus or the train plays that song. So there, so he said, there's a connection between what I thought about and this song, but we're connected in meaning. It only means something to me, but it is connecting and it is scientific. And so Jung played with this idea of synchronicity to understand where we were in the universe, uh, what these things are telling me and so forth. And there's uh, the famous story where he's treating a patient and she's resisting his therapy because she's too secular and she's, oh, you're too out there in this new thing called psychology. It's just not, it's too uh, boogaboo or something. And she, and they're talking and she says, well, I dreamt of a scarab last night and I was in Egypt. And lo and behold, a scarab appears in, on the window and Jung opens the window and says, see, this is synchronicity. You, we are connected through meaning because you had this dream and this scarab appear and we are talking about this is important. We explore this and where you are thinking or dreaming is real and changes reality. At the very least, it will change your reality and your inner world, which was Jung was trying to look for. So that's in a nutshell, synchronicity. I mean, there's so much more to it. Uh, yeah. Even I'm learning, for example, I used to like, well, if I have this dream, I'm going to look out for it today. Or I listen to this song in the morning, I'm going to look out for it. But then I realized part of synchronicity is the is surprise. You have to be surprised. If you're not surprised, then what you're doing is divination. So Jung said, no, there is a part of synchronicity is the act of surprise and what you're going to do with it. Because every synchronicity means something to you and the world that's happening because a synchronicity can mean you need to call somebody or you need to reach out to somebody. It's all about your personal meaning and how you interact with the universe. In a nutshell, Jung said, uh, synchronicity is simply God talking to you. I mean, we all have thousands of synchronicities a day. We could connect our lives to nature and other people and art, but most of us are just unconscious. We don't notice these, but so practicing these synchronicities really helps you understand yourself, your connection to the world and your purpose to the world and use wisely. You can, you know, help others and connect with other human beings and find out what you need to do, what your purpose is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that I definitely agree with you. There's so much to go on when it comes to synchronicity. This book I have in front of me, Jose Argales wrote uh, time in the technosphere. He mentioned synchronicity as a sort of, indicator that you're living within the natural biosphere right and his 
ideas that since we've gone and industrialized the biological means of life, all the ways that life used to be, you know, provided and supported have been, you know, supplanted with these technological means. That's caused a boilerplate situation, a building of tension, which culminated in 9-11. And his point is like, look at all the synchronicities. And obviously, I've just begun to read it, but I think it's something you would be interested in looking into as well, because he has, yeah, a great thought there that you kind of mentioned or hinted at, which is when you're noticing synchronicities, synchronicities, you're you're starting to live within that natural harmony, that rhythm. I think I've always yeah. said this is you realize you're connected to everything. Yeah. Synchronicities are a sign that you're on the right path sometimes too, you know, and then it's not always going to lead you to good places, but it's going to lead you to a lesson if you're, if you're aware of what's going on. And that's what life is. It's a learning mm. experience, you know, but yeah, there, there's one part that always fascinates me when it comes to Gnosticism, especially considering the climate we're in now, everything that's going on now, which is this simulation idea, because now you hear simulation, you think virtual reality, you think plugging yourself into a computer, maybe even The Matrix, which is an extremely Gnostic movie. But my fear is that people hear this and they actually imagine a computer in some faraway space, you know, alien landscape that we're actually living in, which is kind of like what Gnosticism is against this Christian thing where they go and create heaven as this explanation, this imaginatory explanation for a thing that doesn't require, you know, it's just, to me, that's the impression I get when I hear people say simulation. So can you go into that further and maybe clarify what the Gnostics actually meant by the simulation? Obviously the prison planet is a, is a concept that fits in there, but. Yeah. I mean, Again, I don't want to get too stuck because we all interpret this otherness with our cultural upbringing or how we were, you know, people called them angels 2000 years ago. Now they want to call them aliens. And I always say, or lizard people, I said, don't get too stuck because uh, we see the world how we want to see them. I mean, at the end of the day, Human beings don't believe what they see. They uh, see what they believe. It's just the way humans are. So, But the Gnostics would certainly be the first ones in history to talk about a simulation theory because, yes, there are, you know, you go to Eastern traditions and they talk about the world's an illusion. The Gnostics, no, this was not a false world. It was, uh, as Gordon White said, it was faked. It was constructed like software around us to keep us trapped. I mean, that's 2000 years ago that they're writing this stuff and these archons and led by the Demiurge who they often associated with the God of the Old Testament were in charge of this and they were controlling this universe again, like in the matrix, in the matrix, they're feeding off our brain electricity to the Gnostics. They were feeding out with our divine spark. And it's interesting because if you go throughout history, you can go, I mean, Mark Booth's book, I've read it. It's a wonderful book. I, I wish it had an index. I don't know if your copy has, but mine doesn't or footnotes. So it drives me crazy because I want to. I have footnotes, actually, I do think. Maybe it's my edition. Yeah, no index is or it, anything. Is it with his pen name, Jonathan Black? Because that was like the first. No, no. Hmm. The Secret History of the World? 
Yeah, yeah. My, I have the copy that's written under his pen name, Jonathan Black. So maybe there's the difference. Yeah, he, this one I bought it like 20 years ago, so maybe he re. But anyway, this idea of the simulation that the Gnostic you really don't see it anywhere in other any other Western or Eastern religion, as far as I know. I think in the Enlightenment, Descartes had his. You know, when he does, I think, therefore I am, cogito ergo sum. He was saying, well. How do I know I'm real? What if this is an illusion by some demon? That's why the term Descartes' demon. This demon has created an illusion, and I'm just sort of like a brain in the vat. Maybe everything is false. That was a wonderful thing to say because he was he started the idea of skepticism. Questioning is not, you know, this is in the Bible, and my priest said this is okay. We start why question everything from the beginning. He said, well, maybe. I mean, it's a, the only thing I can know is that I am, that I exist because I'm noticing even the false illu the construct, I'm, I'm noticing it. But so you see that in like Descartes, but it's only really in the Gnostic groups throughout history that you see this idea of a simulation. But lo and behold, we get into the 60s. Uh, what happens? People are starting to do a lot of drugs, so they're starting to speculate on the nature of reality because, of course, you've got physics as physics is around. You've got the the World War II with the nuclear bombs. You got postmodern. You know, you're questioning the nature of reality because the 20th century was so batshit crazy and blood. You know, so much blood and carnage and terrible things happening. And it's the 60s. You're doing drugs. You're questioning the nature of reality. But guess what? Uh, Technology is really shooting up, kind of, you know, right after Roswell for some reason. In the 50s, technology is, you know, by the 60s, 50s, they're already thinking about the internet and cell phones, but it's all think tanks, you know, alien technology. I don't know. But so technology is exploding. And of course, the idea of uh, virtual reality is coming out, 60s, 70s. The idea of the internet is already being developed by the army. Science fiction writers like Philip K. Dick and others are starting to create, put mesh this all together. Philip K. Dick is using, of course, religious ideas. So suddenly the, and then video games start getting really popular, 70s and 80s. Social media and the internet is teaching us that, hey, we have many different levels of reality. There's me right here. There's me on Twitter. There's my avatar on LinkedIn. You know, I'm a fragmented human being because that's what the Gnostics said is there's layers of reality kind of flowing down of these false realities and we're trapped in different layers sometimes at the same time. So lo and behold, what in the last few years, what do you hear? Now you hear people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Elon Musk. Physicists are saying, you know what? We might live in a simulation. In fact, this is very mathematically possible, scientific, po scientifically possible. So lo and behold, it's almost like the, the Gnostic warning has come true here in the in twenty in the twenty first century, which I find pretty funny, you know. And and who knows what's beyond the simulation? Nobody's really speculated. I like to take the stance as we're still in a prison planet, and but other Gnostics like the Hermetics and Sufis had a more you know positive view of the. We're not home. We're trapped, but it's kind of a necessary place that we kind of we fell into it. We're the gamers who created a video game avatar and now we've forgotten that we are, you know, that we're Duke Nukem or whoever it is. And now we got to remember that, no, no, we're not the, we're not the avatar with all these NPCs. We're actually the video game player and we got to 
get rid of this software and wake up and go up. So interesting yes. times. But again, as you've probably heard, I would say these are Gnostic times. And that's just one reason because the simulation theory is now scientifically sound. And that's what the Gnostics were saying 2000 years ago. Yes. And the hardware is what's more important, I think, is like what comes down to it. And, and you don't know this, Miguel, but Jay and, and Adam are actually playing a simulated game right now in the podcast. They're driving s- simulated trucks across a simulated landscape. It's Mark, really... you didn't have to call us out like that. <laughs> no, it's how you guys stay focused. I like it. I actually appreciate when you guys are, are trucking on the podcast. But so have yeah, you seen yeah, have you seen a glitch in the matrix? Many times. Many yeah, times. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, we have to uh, record that and see if there's any synchros there. But yeah, it's certainly ubiquitous. The na- the level of immersion into this technological space for good or bad. I don't know if the Gnostics would have agreed with the transhumanist movement. What are your thoughts on on that? Do you think that that's a lot of, because we've had Chris Knowles on the show and he kind of gave me a little bit of gnosis and, and reminded me like, hey, they've been coming out with these, you know, big theories about all these big promises for what tech can do for since I was a kid, you know, so they're they're just as slow now as they were then. So what are your thoughts? Do you think transhumanism is really, you know, around the corner or? No, I would agree with Chris and his rants on it are my favorite because he's been studying and he's just so he sees right through all the bullshit. There's no flying cars. We're not going to Mars. Uh, all these problems. I mean, we are the empire. This uh, version of the empire, this hologram is getting old. We've we've lost this empire has lost its imagination, its ideas. We've hit a wall when it comes to technology. Again, stuff like the internet and smartphones were already being thought about in the 60s or maybe before. So we've hit a wall and I would agree, but I would certainly, and I think Chris would agree too, that uh, transhumanism is a very nefarious, archonic move because again, basically plugging us in deeper into the matrix is not exactly going to help our divine spark be released or expanded. So I don't see transhumanism happening. I don't see our consciousness being uploaded into a computer. But if it did, it would be a a nefarious negative thing, I would say. Yeah. And bringing that all home, because we like to end with solutions here and, and end on a positive note, unless Jay and Adam have any questions. Jay, you got a question from Miguel after all we've learned so far? No, this is, I mean, it's not new. When you grow up Roman Catholic, I feel like you hear a lot of negative stuff about, like, I can't say I know a lot, but when I hear the word Gnostic from my experience in my life, it just brings up like this, I wouldn't say negative, but like, that's what I've been taught to believe through everything, you know, like, I shouldn't go with it or something like that. And that's just like, that's what keeps kind of ringing in the back of my mind, but it's not like to say i just think it's it's funny you know i i just don't understand that piece of it and the more you talk about it the more i get why they would say that in the roman catholic church you know yeah yeah because they're they're yeah they were accused of many things again they were accused of being anarchists of being insane being subversive i think they were right (laughs) they were also (laughs) accused of being uh world haters body haters and I think they were more realists because when you read the Gnostic texts, 
Yeah, they're, they're railing against the universe, as uh, what uh, one gamer said. They were uh, raging against having raging against heaven is what the Gnostics were doing. But there's an amazing joy in a lot of their words and texts. There's a poetry. There's a laughter. I mean, they depict Jesus always laughing a lot. It's almost like the Buddha smiles or uh, Don, you, know, you watch the movie Donnie Darko when he's laughing right before he dies at the end. It's because they see the truth of the universe and to know the truth of the universe, the good part and the bad part and to see it fully is one of the most liberating experiences you can have. And I, you really do see that with the Gnostic texts. It's not so much that they hated the world is they really saw that the world was both a equally evil and good place there even though we are in a simulation there are there's a lot of divinity trapped here in the plants and the animals and everything else the gnostics were at their core they were pacifists most of them were vegetarian they were very eco-friendly uh, they had their services in tree groves and in caves and uh, other places like that they were intellectual and philosophers they went to the university so there's a there's a lot of joy in what they do, and of course, uh, but the church kind of had to twist these things around and make them the villains. And and again, you hide things in plain truth. Uh, you see that on social media. You tell the truth, but you just tweak it just enough, or you put enough truth and you put a little lie there, and the entire thing becomes unbalanced. And I think that's what they were doing with the Gnostics or anybody who got you know who got in the way. That's what governments do. Yeah, they do. With, yeah, so it's not the only group they've probably done it to as well. No, yeah, it's the one they did it the most. But yeah, they did it with women, you know, the whole witch. They did it with Jews. They did it with anybody who got in their way. Yeah. Contradicts their agenda. Indigenous <laughs> cultures, like we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, it's definitely empire's sort of modus operandi. But Miguel, you've given the listeners a lot of places to start. The Nag Hammadi text, Philip K. Dick, Donnie Darko, those are all good places to start, to name a few. But for those on this journey seeking Gnosis, what advice can you leave them with before we wrap up here tonight? I'd say look inward. Look inward because, excuse me, the greatest purpose you're going to, the greatest purpose or adventure you're ever, you'll ever take is finding out who you are. Again, most of us are living a great lie. We are a simulation. That's something Philip K. Dick always said. He said, look, there are archons out there. I don't know if they're aliens. I don't know if they're gods, but we are archons too, and we enable these other archons out there. We enable our governments. We enable our schools. We enable our enemies. So the best thing is to look inward and find out who the archon you are, find out what you are not, and take a journey inward. I mean, the Hermetics always said, uh, we are in the universe, but the universe is inside our head. And if you take a journey inward and find out who you really are, you're going to find out what your purpose is. Every one of us has a divine heroic purpose, something that will make the universe itself more harmonious, more meaningful, that will touch a lot of people. But it can't be, the answers will never be out there. The answers will either be looking at the stars beyond the stars or looking inward by any means you can, by having an experience, by introspection, or by creating art. I mean, certainly the Gnostics saw the 
the supreme intelligence as this giant mind of pure holy imagination that was always creating always looking for possibilities always looking for new dimensions to spread light and I, and they saw that our minds were the same and each human being has the potential to create better i always say on my show it's my tagline write your own gospel live your own myth i think each one of us should be able to do that and as i always say we can create better than the creator gods because if we look outside they haven't done that great of a job creating that reality for us out there it can be better but yeah find out who you are go inward my son go go deep into that universe that is inside you and find that treasure that joseph campbell talked about that might be guarded by the dragon that is just your ego or your your past traumas and find your divine spark and uh, you'll make a difference you'll be whole yeah. Wow. Straight from the library, the virtual <laughs> library of Alexandria, Miguel Connor from the AM Byte Gnostic Radio. It's been a real honor, man. I really appreciate you sharing so much wisdom with us here today. And I hope folks will go check you out on AM Byte Gnostic Radio. They have a great Patreon that I'm a part of. Come join the club, hang out there. You get a lot more content for, I, I think I only pay five bucks a month. That's that's average. That's great. It's worth it. Here's my review. But uh, what's that called? Uh, Pearl? So, yeah, yeah. $5 for five shows a month at least. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a buck per episode. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. You guys kind of do like the Carlwood thing where you get, you know, an extra part of the interview. We really, I appreciate that. I always support folks that are doing that because you got to pay for the good stuff. That's where the good conversations are, you know? So Miguel yeah. Connor, again, it's been a real honor. I really appreciate having you here and have a great night listeners. Thanks for tuning into the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast. Mark is bananas. Crazy. Okay. This guy's losing his mind. I'm Don't listen crazy to him. for feeling so lonely. Follow us on Patreon.com slash MFTIC. That's Patreon.com slash MFTIC. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.